Hello, good evening, and welcome to Seascapes. On tonight's programme, we'll visit a huge new survey ship being brought into service by an Irish company. We'll hear from New Zealand about the final stages of the America's Cup and that floating ship mirage. We have an explanation. The America's Cup, the world's biggest and richest yacht race, is in its final stages in Auckland, New Zealand. After overnight races last night, the holders in New Zealand and the challengers, Prada from Italy, are two races each, neck and neck, in the best of 13 challenge. Oliver Lee is the Irish publisher and broadcaster in Auckland. I spoke to him earlier today about the Cup and how the final stages were well underway. Very much so, Fergal, and uh, at nine o'clock this morning, we didn't think we were going to have any racing in Auckland because uh, there was no wind. It was a beautiful, calm day, and, uh, you know, for racing to take part, you have to have a a breeze in excess of 6.5 knots, and, um, you know, at one stage, it was about six, but by four o'clock this afternoon or three o'clock this afternoon, race director Ian Murray said we will have racing. Now, the problem was they had the racing today on course E. So course E was out where nobody could see it because at nine o'clock this morning, Auckland was in uh, level two lockdown. So they didn't want to have the races on course um, A or B close to where I am here because thousands and thousands of people would have gathered on the uh, cliff faces and on the beaches to watch it. And under level two lockdown, uh, not more than 100 people were allowed to be together. But anyway, racing got underway this afternoon, 23, 24 degrees. And uh, it was one all after the first round of racing on Wednesday. And um, everybody thought that, uh, you know, Team New Zealand, uh, Emirates Team New Zealand had the faster boat. Yeah, it looked like that after the first race. It did, but you got to win the start. If you won the start, and obviously the team that gets the port entry seems to have an advantage straight away. So Jimmy Spittle and Luna Rossa uh, won the start in uh, race three. And really, they never uh, lost it. They won um, by about 30 seconds, uh, 37 seconds. So there was a bit of uh, doom and gloom around Auckland this afternoon. I was watching it here on TV. And uh, obviously, um, Peter Burling, the New Zealand skipper, uh, felt that the boat had sailed well, but he said, uh, let's wait and see what happens in the, in the second race. And they had that uh, favourite port entry um, for the for the start of race uh, four, and uh, they got a great start, but it was neck and neck up to the first mark, and obviously very close coming up to the, the second of six marks. And uh, But something happened, Emirates Team New Zealand seemed to have a either a, you know, a human error or a problem uh, with dropping one of the foils. And uh, literally, if you make a mistake and it can be uh, detrimental to you winning the race. So they basically went from about 10 or 12 seconds behind at mark um, two uh, to be 34 seconds mm-hmm. uh, behind at mark three and four. And, and they lost by uh, over over a minute. So it's two all uh, in the best of uh, 13. So yeah. whoever um, gets to, to seven and we're, we're going to have racing scheduled for the next five days. When you say port entry at the start, in a normal race, you jockey for position and you start on the clock on the line. But here, the side you start at is determined by a ballot beforehand. Obviously, uh, Luna Rossa had the port entry for race three and then Team New Zealand had it for race four. So it seems to be a good advantage. Of course, tomorrow and Sunday, 
we look like we're having the same wind conditions. Now, obviously, race director Murray will announce tomorrow uh, where the races are going to be held. Hopefully, it'll be uh, on uh, course A, B or C, which is very close to where people can uh, view the race. And that was what the whole thing was sold to the New Zealand public about. But, you know, we, we need we need wind. I know you had plenty of it in Ireland during the week, so maybe a bit of it might come down here overnight. What's the atmosphere like in Auckland? You're in level one at the moment, so there are people gathering. Oh, yeah. Well, level one is basically the only thing that's uh, different between level one and level zero is the borders are closed. So life is pretty much uh, happening here as, as normal. And I went into town on Tuesday or Wednesday night, uh, the day of the first race. I was meeting a, a friend for dinner and, uh, you know, there was a great atmosphere around. But all these bars and restaurants that would normally they're packed to the gills tonight. They were only allowed to have 100 people. So there was social distancing but uh, what surprised me is the amount of these beautiful, big, uh, you know, uh, launches from all over the world with the flags of the different ports around the world. I didn't see any from Galway Bay or Dunleary or uh, Crosshaven, but there is some unbelievable super yachts, as we call them, uh, in, in Auckland for this regatta. And of course, there would have been many more if it wasn't for COVID. But the place is uh, really buzzing. There's lots of people that have travelled from other parts of New Zealand to be in New Zealand uh, this weekend because there's no lay day provided there's uh, wind uh, the racing is, is going to continue and who knows it might finish on St. Patrick's Day next Wednesday yeah. and everything is free as well we can all watch it on YouTube all the official coverage is on YouTube for free all the events surrounding it in Auckland are free as well for people oh they are and there's huge big screens all around down in the um the fan zone of course the funny thing the other night was in town the big screens massive screens uh you know there was no coverage because of the screens were uh, in operation people who've gathered there but of course they were in operation this afternoon and uh you know the it's it, there's a great atmosphere around the place the government as i mentioned when we spoke three weeks ago invested a lot of money as did auckland council in developing that whole um viaduct area so there's, there's just a great uh, buzz around the place and the fact that people can get out and enjoy themselves is is really good but i think this is going to be the last time um, Team New Zealand faced uh, Luna Rossa, 2000. It was 5-0. It was all over after two days. But uh, this is going to go down to the wire. And uh, it's just, it's great because if it was 4-0 now for Team New Zealand or 4-0 for Prada, there'd be, people would be a bit upset. But the fact that it's, it's snake and neck and uh, we've got some fantastic sailors sailing on, on both teams. You would have thought that Prada would have an advantage because they had to come through all of the qualifications they've been racing for a couple of months, whereas New Zealand, it's really their first outing. It is. They raced uh, in the Christmas Cup, which was on before Christmas. So they really have only been out testing themselves. Whereas Prada, you're right, they came through and uh, beat Ineos Team UK in the uh, Prada Cup. And uh, obviously now uh, the big prize is the uh, America's Cup. So Prada certainly uh, look like that they have... uh, possibly everybody thought the boat might not be as fast as the Team New Zealand one. But they they look... Both boats are very... I think in light winds, Prada probably... Um, has the edge on Team New Zealand. They're, they're very close, but they say if the winds are uh, exceed, get up to 15, 20, 25 knots, uh, you know, which would be uh, quite strong, Team New Zealand may have the advantage. So we haven't seen any spectacular uh, boats capsizing like we did in the uh, Prada Cup, uh, Fergal. You mentioned St. Patrick's Day. might all end on St. Patrick's Day, but there are some events you've got planned for Auckland. Well, Got to be with the days when uh, the ministers 
from Ireland would come and visit. We always had a senior minister here to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. We were supposed to have a big parade in Auckland tomorrow, but because we didn't know whether Auckland's level one has been postponed for a week. But there's events happening. There's Gaelic games happening down in Christchurch in the South Island. And uh, I see already uh, a lot of the Irish uh, pubs have put on special events. And it's a great day. People get out and really enjoy themselves uh, down here. Uh, there's a great uh, connection between New Zealand and Ireland. And uh, I think everybody comes out and wears something green. And of course, uh, the Irish clubs all around the country, they'll be packed uh, on um, St. Patrick's uh, Day next Wednesday. But um, let's hope that uh, this time next year, uh, everything will be back to, to normal and, um, you know, maybe you might be down here to report in some yacht race uh, in, in Auckland Harbour. We can only live in hope. And as Oliver said, all the racing and analysis of the America's Cup is free to watch on YouTube. Even if you have little interest in high-tech yachts, it's worth a look just to marvel at the technology, if nothing else. Other technical advances in the marine area are on display on a ship just purchased by an Irish shipping company, Irish Mainport. She's in dry dock at the moment undergoing modifications and I went along to have a look around her in the company of Dave Ronane of Irish Mainport. I'm Dave Ronane, I'm Chief Executive of Irish Mainport and we're down now in Cork Dockyard where our ship, the Mainport Geo, is in dry dock and as you can see, Fergal, there's a lot of different work going on and sounds of... Lots of banging and uh, welding. When you say she's in dry dock, we're hardly describing what's in front of us here. It's an enormous ship. The dock is have, it used to be the old Verome dockyard. She's up in blocks, essentially. Correct. Uh, she's up in blocks. Uh, she's 50 metre in length. Uh, she is a big ship. Uh, our other ships are bigger, but she's still uh, a very big ship. And uh, she's dry docked here now for the last three weeks. Uh, we hope to have her out probably the next four or five days, except we have a late difficulty with one of the seals on the azimuth thruster. Here the sea is blocked off, so you obviously come in at high tide, put a barrier in, what happens then? Yeah, she comes in at high tide and then they close the, the, the gates and literally pump out all the water. It takes around the day to do all that, uh, then they put her on the blocks. But it is fascinating just to see it when it is out of the water like this. Tell me something about Mainport and what are you doing, wind energy? So we've been around a long time, Fergal, where we were founded in 1958 by my father, Finbar. We mainly associated with hydrocarbons because uh, we've been uh, supporting the Kinsale gas field for the last 40 years. Uh, it's coming to an end this year. The platforms have been decommissioned. Uh, we'd have ships around the world uh, servicing uh, seismic support, looking for uh, various hydrocarbons. So we need to uh, diversify away from hydrocarbons so we've gone into offshore wind and scientific research which is what this ship will do uh, there's a lot of exciting potential of offshore wind in ireland and we're hoping to be at the start of this new industry for for ireland and particularly cork has great potential when you mean she'll be involved in scientific research what exactly do you have planned for her well she's shaped like a survey ship anyway so very tall in front where you have all the uh, bridge and everything and then flat at the back she's yeah she's similar set to a supply ship where you'd carry supplies so up in the bridge there you'll have all the accommodation so this is will have accommodation for around 40 people uh, i think we can carry 25 passengers belong to the client uh, we're doing lots of different modifications here to make it far more flexible so the welding and noise that's going on there fergal is we're fitting a new mezzanine deck and the reason for the mezzanine deck is that we put on an rov a remote operated vehicle that'll be on there. It's like a, a submarine. Correct. Um, and attached to it would be what we call a LARS, which is a launch and recovery system. 
which is literally how you put the ROV into the water and retrieve it. And then it'll be a very long cable attached to the ROV. Uh, that goes into the water surveying uh, what's below the water uh, and the various maybe grapple hooks and lighting. Uh, so that's why you need the mezzanine deck to safely launch it. And then this ship is really different because it has items that a ship like this normally wouldn't have. It's got what's called DP2 and she's diesel electric engines. If you can just imagine a ship uh, that's out in the middle of the ocean and you want to keep her stationary and when she's out in the middle of the ocean you don't have any points of reference to keep the ship say pointing at that headland. So you want to keep the ship stationary because you have say an ROV in the water or divers in the water and there's currents and there's winds so how do you tell the ship to stay exactly where they are? If you were in maybe shallow water you could drop down an anchor but does anyone know who's even got a rib or a small boat? You put one anchor down and the ship will still kind of go spinning around depending on currents and wind. So if you want to keep the ship stationary, what DP2 is is that the ship locks on to a satellite and DP2 is effectively like a, a, an advanced computer system that is talking to the various thrusters and everything has been controlled by the computer to keep stationary. Where does she come from and why is she called Majura? She was in the Ivory Coast she would have cost around 15 million originally to build. Uh, the previous owner uh, got into financial trouble uh, the, with other um, ships that they had. We didn't know the owner. Uh, it was put up via sale to a broker. We had to move very quickly uh, to purchase her. She was based on the Ivory Coast, a difficult place during COVID pandemic um, to try to inspect. Uh, during the uh, relaxation of the restrictions last July, we were able to get down to the Ivory Coast, inspect the ship, and then it was a challenge to try to get her safely out of the Ivory Coast, back up to Ireland. Uh, the reason that you see the name Majuro, uh, that's the capital of a group of islands called the Marshall Islands. So this ship is registered in the Marshall Islands. Uh, they're a group of islands near Japan. It is under American protectorate and the reason that we registered the Marshall Islands is that there's super ship register to be with for worldwide trading. For us, far more flexible, uh, say, than if we were registered in Ireland, where some of our ships are, but that does not give us the flexibility to go worldwide trading. The kind of work that's going on here now, at, at the moment, you've got a big, looks like a big crane you're welding onto the side. Two things we're trying to do, Fergal. One, on the port side, which we'll show you in a minute, we fitted what's called a USBL, which is an underwater survey baseline. Um, and it's a, a pole that's around three meters long uh, that will go down from within the ship to go a meter and a half below the hull to start doing a baseline survey. So that was a very difficult uh, unit for us to fit internally. Second of all, when the ship is doing survey, uh, clients will want what's called a multi-beam survey. So literally that blue pole there will go down towards the, the uh, base of the ship and then you take it out of the water when you're not using it. She's red. There's a reason for that. Well, all our ships are blue, originally because they were bars blue, because I played the bars. My father was a, a, a member of the bars. <laughs> Sorry, Fergal. Uh, but this ship, when we uh, bought it, uh, the previous owner was planning for its uh, five-year special dry dock survey, which we've just finished, and they'd already bought lots of different drums of red paint. Uh, so I think the cost benefit of us keeping the red paint, but then you can see the pinger pole there is in the bars blue. So I presume the lads are going to paint that red to match in with the ship. 
But maybe in a future period we'll paint her bars blue to um, match the other ships in the fleet. David, we've come up to the bow of the ship. How many ships do Mainport operate? Uh, I think we now have nine or ten. We had more, but we sold a few when the crash came, when the price of oil reduced uh, four or five years ago. But we now have the Mainport Pine. She's working in Turkey. Uh, we had the Mainport Cedar that was in Cork for a few months, but she's now working in Angola. We have the three tugs up in the Shannon, the Celtic Isle, the Celtic Fergus and the Celtic Rebel. We have the Ocean Spay that's servicing the Kinsale gas platform. Uh, working there, we've had a ship there every day, working every day, literally since 19, I think 79, so it's around 40 years now. And hopefully now this will be a different sector because offshore wind is, uh, and scientific research is a new sector for us. We were talking earlier about the surveys you were doing on the seabed. Is that to see whether or not you can put turbines there? Yes, but I think we do. there's lots of different functions that the surveys will do. Afterwards, they'll want various cables to go on the seabed, at the seabed with, the, the, with either sourcing something to the wind farm or cables coming back with various uh, electrical. But the main thing is to make sure that the substructure is strong enough to take the foundation of the wind farms. Yeah. I mean, the wind farms are going to be very exciting, particularly in the south coast, because they'll be floating, whereas all the wind farms now on the east coast of Ireland are fixed. You can still see some wind farms off the coast of Arklow. They're now 20 years old. They're quite small. Yeah. And visually, they're quite obvious on the east coast. But the big advantage in the Celtic Sea in the south coast and Simply Blue Energy and DP have lots of plans that were announced recently. Those wind farms will not be seen from the coast. And will there be like anchors like oil rigs? Will each one be a single turbine or will there be multi-turbines? No, each one is likely to have a single turbine. So they will need maintenance when they're up and running. So there'll be a different type of boat called a crew transfer vessel to bring uh, maintenance technicians out to the actual tower itself to make sure they're maintained well. And then depending on how far out, you could have different type of ships, like maybe what they're called walk-to-work ships, where your technicians could sleep on a ship adjacent, and then the next morning they go back to work on the various turbines to make sure they're maintained well. But that depends how far out of sea they're going to be. We know from going up the west coast of Ireland, it can be incredibly rough there. How are you going to survive the weather? Well, I think the south coast is going to happen in the next, hopefully, five or six years. The west coast is 10 years away. The technology, I believe, is there. It is available. It is, uh, similar wind farms have already been built in the North Sea. Germany and Scotland are to the forefront. The one great thing that the west of Ireland will have is that we'll have winds all the time. And eventually, we're going to be exporting electricity in, in 20... Well... You have to put things in context, Fergal. Right now, I understand the energy needs of the country is around 5.3 gigawatts. So the objective for the Celtic Sea over the next five or six years is to produce five gigawatts from offshore wind. So that's the existing country's energy needs. And then you take in the east coast, what's going to happen in the short term, and then the potential of the west coast. We're going to have to be exporting this energy. In this enterprise in wind energy, you're involved in the surveying. Do you plan to be involved in the building of these turbines, the transport of them? They'll have to be assembled on shore. There's a big shore element to the whole thing. Uh, unlikely. We will stick to what we're good at, which is ships this size. So there's different type of uh, ship uh, owners who have much larger ships. 
and large expertise who will be doing all that. Hopefully uh, there will be a lot of fabrication of the offshore wind farms where we are now here in Cock Dockyard. I know the Doyle Group have exciting plans for this area here. Uh, we've got together with the other users in, in, in Port of Cork and I think this could be a great location for offshore wind for the Celtic Sea in the next six or seven years. When do you hope to be in commission with her? Uh, we'll have to do various sea trials and we should be ready to go in the next... Uh, the, the, our target was the end of March and then of course the most difficult part then is that we have to find work for the ship. The most expensive thing about a ship is when she's not working. So when our ship, the Mainport Cedar, say, was up in the, by the Port of Cork building the last few months, it's like a, an actor between jobs and uh, not a place you want to be. And the, the key thing is now is where we're going to start working her. So we have interest at the moment from two or three players in the Irish sector. We also have an interest from three different players in the North Sea, so she could be going to the North Sea. And only yesterday we got an inquiry, would, uh, would we bring her down to Angola for a job down there? Uh, they want to survey the seabed. So hopefully she, the difficulty with offshore wind is you don't normally have a 12 month window. So there could be the winter months uh, where she won't be working and that's expensive then because you still have to pay for the ship and the crew. So we're hoping to get as much work as we can this summer and go into the uh, winter and maybe then she could work in Angola or the Mediterranean in the winter months. And thanks to Dave Ronane for showing me around the main port Majuro and the best of luck to her. One thing the Majuro is ever unlikely to do is float on air. Mainstream and social media was agog this week with pictures of ships apparently floating above the sea. One of those pictures was taken by Dr. Maura Coran from UCC. She told me how she came across this phenomenon. Towards the end of October, um, and I was uh, I was walking with my husband and my baby. Um, it was during the second lockdown, so we were enjoying our five kilometres. Uh, we live in Crosshaven, and we were walking along Fountains Town Beach and spotted this ship that seems to be floating in the air. And your photograph is on your Twitter feed. It's an incredible image. Yeah, yeah, it is, um, I suppose. I didn't think much of it at the time because everyone was kind of just uh, wandering along the beach, not very nonplussed by it. Uh, It was obviously a trick of the light, but it was when I looked back on the photo, actually, I saw it on... I thought that it had been doing the rounds on Twitter, a similar photo, and then I looked back on mine and I thought, gosh, yeah, that was a very strange phenomenon, actually. Were you able to look it up afterwards to see what it was? Um, So I actually totally forgot about it after I'd taken it. As I said, I had my small baby with me, so I I had other things on my mind at the time and completely forgot about it. And then I just uh, saw the photo last week from Cornwall, and then I read the piece, I think it was in The Guardian, about this. Um, superior mirage which That's is what right. causes it so um, it's to do with how the light travels through different different air temperatures Yeah I went and looked it up myself and when the cold, there's cold air on the sea and hot air above it the re- refraction acts differently in cold air than in warm air so it bounces the light towards you Yeah yeah and it can kind of make things look like they're closer to you than they actually are so it did it did even look a bit closer than ships would normally look from from that beach. Um, so yeah, it was it was very unusual. <laughs> Apparently it happens quite a lot in very cold waters in the Antarctic and things like that. You get this phenomenon quite a lot, but it's very unusual for us here. I've never seen anything like this. 
Yeah, yeah, and I hadn't either. Um, I suppose we were, we were were recent residents of that area, and I kind of just thought, oh, maybe this happens a bit around here. <laughs> um, but no, apparently it is quite unusual. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it's funny actually when you look at the two photos, the one from from Cornwall and the one that I took, they seem to be very similar days. You know, those that kind of cold, sunny winter's day. We're all familiar with mirages in on land, even in Ireland during the summer in warm weather. But I, I can tell you that from experience, when you're at sea, mirages, you can see things that are a complete trick of the light, particularly in my experience, the moon rising, full moon rising over the sea oh, yeah. in yeah. late summer evening. It can look like a spacecraft. It's the most <laughs> unnerving thing you've ever seen. When you took this photograph, you didn't think very much of it afterwards. Now, like I say, I wasn't my normal self. I suppose I had a lot going on. Um, but, yeah, I just kind of thought well, that's unusual. <laughs> um, I think I shared it on my family WhatsApp uh, group and everyone kind of commented that, yeah, that looks pretty pretty crazy. But I suppose there's been a lot of crazy things happening in the world. <laughs> it, it's also on your Twitter feed. And your Twitter handle is? At Maria Curran, K-I-R-R-A-N-E. Thanks to Dr. Maria Curran. And that's it for Seascapes for this week. We're back at the same time next Friday. Everything on the programme is podcast. It's on our website, rte.ie slash seascapes. If you want to contact me or the programme, the email is seascapes at rte.ie. If you're lucky enough to be anywhere on or near the water over the next week, stay safe. Seascapes is presented and produced by Fergal Keane.